0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20,
1: 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game.
2: Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. Guys, we have reached our final power five conference preview. We are on to the SEC. It just means more over here. And uh, we're doing the SEC East today. We'll have the SEC West drop Thursday as well as have a, right now, special guest episode that should drop on Friday as well. We'll get to the group of five, the independents, coming up next week. And Trey, the first thing that that you texted us as we were getting ready to hit record here, a lot of kind of under-the-radar solid quarterbacks in the SEC East. The SEC East might be the division that's best at the quarterback position
0: top to bottom in the whole country. I, You look at um, Will Levis at Kentucky, Spencer Rattler coming over from Oklahoma to South Carolina, Anthony Richardson at Florida looks really promising, Hinnan uh, Hooker threw for a million touchdowns last year at Tennessee. We still have some uh, pieces to sort out at Missouri and uh, the other schools, but Top to bottom, there's some salty quarterbacks in this division, and when you pair that with some not-so-salty defenses at some of these schools, you no could see some fireworks offensively in the SEC East this year.
2: I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see who emerges in the SEC East behind Georgia, right? We're all assuming that Georgia still wins the division. Uh, I've got their preview coming up here in a little bit, and Certainly, it's not going to be the same team from a year ago. They lost a ton, but they should still be the cream of the crop. The questions for the SEC East truly centers around who's number two and who can kind of maybe start to set themselves apart as a team that can challenge Georgia, that can battle for third, fourth, best in the SEC behind your Georgias and Alabamas. Uh, and and for years, the SEC East has not had that. This season, though we might really start to have that battle heat up. So looking forward to diving into all of that. Before we get there, of course, the housekeeping. Thank you guys for the continued support on our social media, 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you can write into the show if you choose to as well, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Guys, we are less than three weeks away from college football getting started, and uh, it seems like you guys are... Ramping that excitement up as well. You continue to to follow, continue to subscribe, and uh, the listener numbers are are off the charts. So we really do appreciate it. But without any further ado, Garrett, you are diving into the Florida Gators to lead off this preview episode.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's definitely a new era for the Gators, right? So out goes Dan Mullen, in comes Billy Napier. Uh, he had a very successful run at Louisiana. And he also has a lot of experience from previous stops uh, with Nick Saban at Bama and Dabo at Clemson. Uh, And I think Florida's just kind of hoping that they can grab Billy Napier and and build a good program with some of those ingredients he picked up at those stops. Uh, Florida's been really up and down in recent years. There's some high expectations that, you know, hey, things are supposed to look like they did in 2020, right? When we're talking about Trask and Pitts and that SEC championship game appearance, big season. Um, there, there's some expectations that that should be the norm for Florida. There, there should be less seasons like 2021 where things kind of fell apart, right? Um, Napier is looking to kind of build this program. He's talked a lot about emphasizing NIL, recruiting, the transfer portal, things like that. Um, and he's looking to kind of expand his staff to do that and uh, utilize that in this new era of college football. But how much is that going to affect year one and how much should Gator fans sort of have tempered expectations for year one under Billy Napier? Uh, Let's go ahead and break down the offense. The offense was pretty average last year, finished 49th in scoring at 30.7 points per game. That's not bad by any means, but just not necessarily anything that jumps off the page at you. Uh, Their big stat, though, was their turnover margin. They finished at minus 0.62. That was 116th nationally. You can't continue to lose the turnover margin at that bad of a rate and continue to be successful as well. So Napier's first job is really just going to have to be, how do we take care of the football? How are we going to make sure that we put players in a great position to succeed? Uh, And it's going to start with the quarterback position. Emory Jones, out the door, uh, leaves Florida with the exciting prospect of developing Anthony Richardson. Uh, Richardson performed all right and some limited action last year. He only had 64 pass attempts, but he completed 59 percent, six touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, His big thing, he is a little bit more of a threat to run. He racked up 400 yards and three touchdowns. The hopes for this is that you're going to be able to start to watch Richardson grow, develop uh, in a new offensive scheme, and sort of take that next step with all those tools that he seems to have. A lot of reports coming out early as well suggest that he will make that step. Um, And there is a ton of production to replace everywhere else on their offense. Um, The players that they had last year, uh, that they lost guys from last year, they scored 40 of their 53 touchdowns. So they're only bringing back 13 touchdowns from last year. They're going to have a lot of production to replace. Uh, Running back is kind of a two-headed monster. They have a returner in Naquan Wright. He performed well in some limited opportunities. He did get hurt in the spring, so they're kind of hoping that those injury concerns are behind him. Um, the other name to know here is Montreal Johnson. He rushed for 838 and 12 touchdowns last year at Louisiana. So he follows Napier over. He's going to be a really nice physical option to kind of, you know, be a change of pace guy Hit a little, you know, thunder and lightning is what a lot of people like to talk about when you have a fast guy and a physical guy. So kind of what you're going to be looking at with those two guys, uh, the wide receiver spot is going to be led by Justin shorter and Xavier Henderson. Uh, they combined for five touchdowns, a uh, little over 800 yards together. Um, it, it's a talented group, but both guys there have really struggled getting separation and man coverage. Uh, and so you're going to be kind of looking to figure out, hey, how are they going to get open and give uh, Richardson someone to throw to? The big problem for their pass catchers here is they don't bring back a single catch from a tight end. They haven't had a catch from a tight end in that room, um, and so they're going to have to figure out who's going to step up there as well as maybe who could step up in the wide receiver room to uh, kind of fill some of those voids. Uh, the offensive line did struggle with physicality and not getting blown up last year. They do have three returning starters in Richard Gerage, uh Ethan White, and Kingsley Iguacun, uh, but they're going to need to plug some holes on the right side of the line. All those guys are from the center and to the left. Um, guard Osiris Torrance is also a transfer from Louisiana. So again, just another guy following Napier over, uh, and you would think he'd feel comfortable plugging him in at that right guard spot. And you're probably looking at a guy like Michael Tarquin to be the favorite at right tackle. Uh, yeah, this new staff is going to have to figure out some of the issues up front. Um, you certainly feel confident that they can, but we're definitely in a wait and see mode with them. Uh, defensively new defensive coordinator, Patrick, Tony is going to have his work cut out for him with a very talented group that never really put it together. Uh, 2021 defense was statistically better than 2020, but it would have been almost impossible for them to have been worse. 2020 was a horrible year for that side of the ball. Uh, in 2021, they improved to 73rd in scoring defense at 26.8 points per game. The big problem for them was stopping the run. They finished 85th in the country and stopping the run rushing yards per game. Uh, if you want to succeed in the SEC and especially take that next step, you have to be able to be physical up front, take away the run, and force these offenses to become a little bit more one-dimensional. Uh, on the defensive line, they're unproven, but they are impressive. Uh, so they bring back uh, ends Princely, Umanmulin, and Brenton Cox Jr. Uh, he's more of kind of a Jack linebacker type guy, so he'll end up lining up on the line and at the end for them. Um, They haven't really had many chances to start or impress. Uh, Cox did have seven sacks in four games at the end of last year, so really came on towards the end, Uh, but kind of a big prove-it year for both of them. Uh, In the middle, you have Javon Dexter. He's a guy who could be really impressive in his third year, Uh, and the last spot on that defensive line is just a total mystery to them. They don't know who they're putting there. They have some options, but they're kind of waiting to see who makes that step up. Uh, Linebacker, they're going to bring back some huge veteran presences with Ventro Miller and Amari Burney. Uh, This leadership presence is probably going to be big for them, especially with the inexperience up front, kind of helping get guys in the right spot, you know, put guys in their rush lanes, tell guys to scoot when they need to, um, and just kind of helping to lead things from their linebacker spot. The secondary does lose first round draft pick Kair Elam, but uh, there's a lot to work with on the back end for them. Uh, Jason Marshall, he's about as talented as they come, and he's ready to man the corner spot. The other one's probably going to be Avery Helm or Jaden Hill, going to see who wins that spot. Uh, and the safeties are all experienced, but not necessarily showing that they're top tier SEC talent yet. Uh, those are probably going to be Rashad Torrance, Trey Dean, Travez Johnson. You're going to have to wait and see, you know, who among them decides to step up and make the big plays and, and raise up from just being kind of an average uh, safety in the SEC. Uh, Looking at the floor and the ceiling for this team, uh, they have them listed as an over-under right at seven. I'm going to go a little bit under in this case. I have them going six and six in year one under Billy Napier. Uh, There's just kind of too much talent in the SEC, and it's a really, really tough crossover schedule with the West. Uh, If everything goes well here, they have the talent to win nine games. Uh, But most likely they're going under, uh, and they're just going to not be there year one. Um, If – You know, they're looking for this. They're going to get there someday, right? Napier is building the program. Uh, It just doesn't feel like it's that year for me. Uh, The danger zone for Florida. October 15th has them in a game against LSU. They get a bye week, and then they play Georgia, and then they go to Texas A&M. That could be a really, really tough stretch for this team, especially if they haven't gelled at that point. And depending on how that stretch goes, it could really spoil the end of the season for them or give him a little bit of momentum to push through and kind of finish strong.
0: That opening portion of the schedule too is just downright scary. I think oh, yeah. if you're breaking in a new offense, breaking in a new coaching staff, you're not quite sure. I, I really like Anthony Richardson. I mentioned him at the top. He kind of reminds me of where Dak Prescott was at this point of his career. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I, 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 that's the comp I see when I watch him, but you talk about opening with Utah. We've beat Utah to death. We don't have to open that conversation, but uh, their first two conference games are Kentucky and at Tennessee um, sandwiched by a, they sandwich a game at home against South Florida. That's a legit chance at a one in three start for me. Um, I think their best shot at a win there is at Tennessee, but that's on the road and that's a big rivalry game. So, you know, it, I struggle. I I have them right around that same area. I think seven's a good line for them. They do have a lot of talent, and I think their defense can carry them to some wins where they ugly up some games and make (laughs) more talented teams really frustrated, especially more talented quarterbacks really frustrated. But yeah, six and six, seven and five in year one, not a bad year one, not a bad debut in a rapidly improving SEC East for me. But right. Yeah, and the schedule's just really tough.
2: How glad is Florida that Todd Grantham is not their defensive coordinator? (laughs) Oh, they're thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. Just as disastrous an end to the tenure as you could possibly have. And it's not like 2020 was going super great. You know, their offense was winning them a lot of games, and then Mullen kind of doubles down on Grantham last year. And uh, since, since the LSU shoe toss... Which turned the tide in that game. Florida is two and nine against power five opponents, oh, which is no. just a tough scene. So, yeah, I'm probably a little bit lower on Florida this year. They've got talent, but so does everybody in the SEC. And that schedule is disgusting. Um, you know, you start one in three, and then maybe you get a little bit of an easier middle part before you're by Eastern Washington, Missouri, LSU, all at home. But, yeah, then coming out of the bye, at Georgia, at A&M, home against a plucky South Carolina team, I, I struggle to find I, – I can't find seven wins uh, very easily, let alone six. So, you know, I think I think Florida could miss a bowl game this year. We'll see. Uh, games go either way all the time. But right. uh, this is – for Napier, he's going to have to deal with uh, probably a lot of the comment section in year one as – you know, as they struggle and they, they already turned on him with, with recruiting. And now of course that Florida is tearing it up in recruiting, everybody's trying to delete tweets. Um, <laughs> those people don't change. So I, I'm sure the Florida fan base is going to be really, really frustrated at, at what could be a tough start, and a, a tough finish as well.
0: I know Garrett, you said you're high on Napier. I, I'm still in wait and see mode for him. I really liked what he did at Louisiana. I like his pedigree and who he's learned under obviously he's learned under the best but I really would have liked to see him take an in-between job before taking a program as big as Florida before I can fully buy into him like I, I don't want to give an example of that job maybe I don't know like a, obviously neither of these jobs are open right now but like a Houston or a Cincinnati level job or a Big 12 job maybe before jumping into the fray in the SEC I don't know. Like, I, I'm really interested to see how he handles running a program as big as Florida because I think you could argue that the last every head coach since Urban Meyer hasn't been able to do that. And that's been yeah. their downfall. And for it's been for different right. reasons, right? Dan Mullen, it was recruiting. Um, you know, mustchamp it was stage just maybe Everything. he's not built to be a head coach. Yeah.
2: Um
0: McElwain, wasn't ready for that stage jumping from colorado state straight to florida so i don't know i'm just i'm just really interested to see because it hasn't gone well for them now three coaches in a row and coaches trying to make the jump up to that level of a program
1: oh That's certainly you know and i think the big thing with them is I, I like his footprint you know like he's been at bama clemson ulm like you got to start thinking, okay, he's got the footprint in the South. So I think a lot of what Florida was trying to do there, especially coming off of Dan Mullen, who just the recruiting thing was a freaking nightmare for them. You know, I, I think a lot of that was, let's get some players in here who can compete with the likes of, you know, the, the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Tennessees, right? Let's get some guys in here that can go out there and maybe just out athlete. And I think Napier is going to do a really good job with that. Again, I think the problem is, Just this year, and Trey, you mentioned it towards the beginning a little bit, is just that it's a, you know, the SEC has gotten a lot better almost overnight, especially in the East. You know, you look at teams like Kentucky, South Carolina, you know, those teams are way better than they were last year. Tennessee is still expected to be pretty good. And so, you know, I just, I look at this and I'm kind of wondering okay, well, even if Florida's a little bit better, a marginal improvement, I don't think is going to make up for some massive improvements by some of these other teams. And, Where they all fall at the end of it, who knows? That's still to be seen. But I I think that's going to be a thing that we keep coming back to with some of these teams is, you know, yeah, they're getting better, but the other teams are almost getting more
2: better, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's certainly certainly a good point. I'm excited to watch the SEC East this year, which you don't really get to say that a ton. Um, But moving from Florida over across the border to Georgia – And the national champion. 41-year drought ended finally. Georgia was on the doorstep so many times since their last national championship. And that void's finally been finished. Um, Georgia, though, loses a king's ransom off that championship team. That was truly the perfect culmination of recruiting, talent, development, and timing, to be quite honest. I mean, you had the, the Cinderella story with Stetson Bennett. Uh, All the focus that was on him, the defense just strangling every single one of their opponents throughout the regular season. And then look, I mean, you have to be at the right time in the right place to beat Nick Saban on the biggest stage. That is just the way that it is. And Georgia got all those uh, stars to align last season. So back to how much they lost, 15 total draft picks, that's an NFL record, five first rounders and seven defenders went in the first three rounds. It honestly could have been six first rounders had N'Kobe Dean gone in the first, but some injury issues or at least rumors of a bad knee physical held him out until the third round when he went to Philadelphia. That being said, though, they have blue chips at every single position. I mean, the, the amount of five stars that are in this program is insane, seconded only to Alabama, but this is going to be one of the biggest reload projects in college football history. There's no doubt about it. Kirby Smart, though, if there is a guy other than Nick Saban who can can handle that pressure, it's Kirby Smart. He's ready to defend his title, claim the SEC East crown all over again, a path that while it will be difficult, I see him getting down. Um, and, you know, guys, to be honest, this year could officially be the year that Georgia institutes a dynasty-like rule over the sec east i think battling at the top of the sec with alabama is going to continue on for many more years to come but as we talk about these other teams trying to usurp the throne in the east this is the year that that georgia honestly needs to kind of quell the rebellion offensively ton munkin is running it back and he's got stetson bennett or as he's known on twitter stuquavius bennett after a recent haircut at quarterback um He's headlining a stacked quarterback room. Honestly, I mean, truth be told, dogs fans kind of wanted Stetson to ride off into the sunset after this championship. They, they loved the storyline. Obviously, they love a national championship, but he's not the most talented quarterback in that room. And if you read message boards, if you were on Twitter, a lot of fans were kind of miffed when Stetson announced that he was coming back for one final season. They wanted the, the storybook ending to be the final chapter. There's going to be another one. Will it end, you know, as, as high as they were last year? Probably not. But that being said, Georgia fans are really curious to know what they have in that quarterback room. Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, and then they just brought in uh, another five-star true freshman as well. They've got all the talent in this quarterback room. So Georgia fans do have to wait at least another year to see who wins that outright starting job. There's probably going to be all kinds of mop-up duty, if I had to imagine, so you'll get your peaks there. But uh, you know, to Stetson's credit, he did have the third-highest quarterback rating in all of the Power Five last season. So it's not like the kid was a pure bus driver. He was efficient. He moved the offense down the field, and he did what it took to win a national championship. Running back-wise, they've got Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, who will split carries this season. They really need to step up uh, in order to keep what is a long-standing tradition of wrecking opponents on the ground. You think of all the running back greats that have come through Georgia these last several years, Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, even James Cook from a season ago. A lot of of greats have walked before these guys. So for, for Kenny and Kendall, they've got the star power to to replicate that, but actually doing that on the field is an entirely different story pass catchers are curious. And I say that because you start at tight end. The Bulldogs have the best tight end room in the country and maybe in all of college football history. We'll have to kind of wait and see the completion for a lot of these kids' careers. But it is five-star after five-star after five-star that they have just queued up in this room. So Brock Bowers is returning after an All-American season as a true freshman last year, 882 yards, 13 touchdowns as an 18-year-old kid. Darnell Washington are, uh, and Eric Gilbert are also incredibly talented options. Gilbert was the LSU transfer um, who is now landed in Athens. And then they've got Oscar Delp, who is a top 100 player in this last year's class coming in. Plus, Georgia also has two more five-star, one five-star, one four-star tied in, recruited, and committed in the 2023 class. So it is insane what they are doing in this one room. You go from a loaded tight end room to maybe a little less surety out wide. Jermaine Burton is gone to Alabama. George Pickens is flashing as a new member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So the question is who's going to step up to replace not only that speed threat on the outside, but just kind of the consistency that they had from a guy like Jermaine Burton a season ago. Lad McConkey is the burner who's going to take over the slot. And then they've got Adonai Mitchell and Kendall Milton who are returning as, as starters. Milton is going to split out wide some of the time as well, just kind of a, a gadget player, do-it-all player. So they've got some returning starters, but that as a whole on their offense is, is maybe the least sure as far as, okay, who is our next game changer at this position? On the offensive line, they've also got some replacements they need to do. Uh, they've got two all-SEC guards who went to the NFL draft last year, they had a rash of transfers on the offensive line last season. So they certainly have a lot of talented guys, but some of those players that might have stepped up immediately to be new starters, uh, aren't there anymore. So as far as proven starting talent, Georgia's in, in search of that, uh, before their, their season opener, <clears throat> uh, big expectations, of course, to live up to the unit was placed in the top 15 in pick six previews, run push and sack rate metrics last year. So, Stetson was incredibly safe in the pocket. They were able to run the ball. I think you saw that maybe the most against Arkansas, right? In in one of those early season matchups, Arkansas is hot off of beating Texas, beating Texas A&M, and, and doing it in quite an impressive fashion. And then Georgia just pushed them around on both sides of the ball. The offense couldn't move it. The defense could not stop that rushing attack. So, building the next wave of of people movers on that offensive line is is imperative for Georgia to even repeat as SEC East champs. On the defense, which was the focus of last year, look, this championship proves defense can still win you championships. There's no doubt about it. Uh, an absurd amount of talent bludgeoned offense into submission, according to my notes. They had a 10-3 win to start off the season against Clemson, and then it just essentially stayed the same. Like, You wondered, okay, well, what a a performance from that defense. It really didn't change. In fact, the most that any one team scored on them before the SEC championship game when Alabama beat Georgia was 17. And, Trey, that was Hindon Hooker managing that for the Tennessee Volunteers in the 10th game of the season. So nine games to open the campaign— And Georgia didn't allow more than 13 points in any of those games. It was just video game numbers across the board. Now, Dan Lanning is gone for Oregon. He's the new head coach there, as we've talked about. But Kirby really is the defensive mastermind. He's a specialist. Defense is what he knows and loves. Uh, Will Muschamp was an analyst for the team last year. We talked about him just a second ago. Uh, Analyst last year, takes over as one of the co-defensive coordinators in 2022. And he's the guy that's going to get kind of top billing, not only because He has ties to the University of Georgia, but also just because he's been around the block with so many other teams. Uh, Jalen Carter on the defensive line is the next in a long line of talented D-linemen. And if you listen to NFL draft experts from April, he was probably the best of the bunch. Like literally you go from ESPN to local draft shows. I know certainly here in Dallas you were hearing draft experts rave about Hey, I know George is about to have like everybody from that starting unit drafted in the first round, but check it out. This not in draft eligible kid is actually the best of the group. So Jalen Carter impressed everybody last season. He's back for now what will be a draft eligible junior season and uh, really, really looking forward to what he can do for, for the dogs this season. Um, On the edge, they've got Nolan Smith and Robert Beal who are back with plenty of experience and talent in total. There are 10 former five-star recruits that are likely going to be starters for this defense, which is just absurd in this modern era of recruiting. Linebackers are certainly a position group to watch. They're led by uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Replacing the production is going to be a challenge, but ultimately I think the bigger challenge is replacing the leadership that you had from guys like N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall, and, and, and the like. Uh, that was just such a special group of kids last year. Nicobe Dean probably most of all, uh, was, was one of the best defensive players in the entire country. And like I said off the top, was an absolute shock that it, he didn't go in the first round. It really just took a failed medical for teams to start dinging him. Uh, secondary, probably the biggest question mark on this defensive unit, the defense should crush the running game again. It's just impossible to run on Georgia. But when you have been able to beat the Bulldogs in the last couple of years, it's by throwing against them. Keely Ringo is back as cornerback one. He had the game sealing national uh, or pick six in the national championship game. I believe he's still our Twitter header actually. Um, so shout out to Keely Ringo. Beyond him, again five stars left, right, and center. But just a few returners. So the exact lineup still very much to be determined. Uh, the wild stat that I had for Georgia per the Athletic opponents were more likely to lose at least five yards on a drive. Than they were to find the end zone, opponents only scored 7.8 percent of the time. Uh, they went backwards at least five yards, 8.9 percent of the time. I mean, guys, that is again, video game numbers doesn't really even begin to describe it. That is playing NCAA. sorry, that's playing NCAA, yeah, NCAA that 15 on, on on rookie sliders. Uh, floor ceiling for this team over under set at 10 and a half. As we've seen with all these elite teams. 2022 is certainly going to be more difficult than 2021, but I do think this team is still more talented than anybody else in the conference, save Alabama. So I think the SEC East crown should still be theirs. Give me the over. I'm going to say Georgia goes 12 and 0 again. Um, like I've been saying, you know, I'd rather be late to the party on on some of these teams as they climb the rankings. I'd rather be late to the party on Georgia underachieving than. You know, try and concoct a hot take and, and predict him to go nine and three or something like that. Uh, they should get off to a dominant start as long as they go one and oh over Oregon. So that's a huge litmus test game right out right out of the gate. The danger zone for Georgia zone. starts in week 10 when I look at it. And you could even say it starts in week nine when they play Florida and Jacksonville, but for this purpose. I'll say week ten through twelve. So they host Tennessee and then are on the road against Mississippi State and on the road against Kentucky before they then come home to probably blow out the rambling wreck in Georgia Tech. I, again, you know I've got them going three and zero through that stretch, but we all know going to start Vegas is no easy task. And then Kentucky, depending on who you talk to, could be the second best team in the SEC East. So it's a tough stretch of games. I think you know especially as you get to towards the end of the season. Injuries always rear their ugly head. Uh, and if there is a a time for Georgia to trip up on this schedule, other than maybe losing to Oregon, I think that's probably the spot.
1: Well, if you're Georgia, you probably prefer it this way, right? Let all of those guys that are filling spots who are plenty talented. I mean, you were talking about What is it? 10, five stars in the start yeah. on defense? That's disgusting, first off. But you know, you want those guys to get a little seizing on them before they have to end up at the end of the season. So, you know, having, you know, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Kentucky, I think all those teams are going to be very good this year uh, and really tricky to get past. But I'd rather, if I'm Georgia, I'd rather play them weeks 10, 11, and 12 than weeks four, five, and six, you know. Sure. I'm with you. I think Georgia's running the gauntlet again this year. Um, uh, I'm not going to necessarily pick him for a natty yet. Uh, But they certainly have the tools and, you know, maybe midseason we're talking about this and saying, man, how are we so dumb to overlook the team that just did it? You know, I I I could see them
0: running it back again. Yeah, over 10 and a half seems like a really safe bet to me. I can't find two losses on the schedule. So not much more to be said. I mean, it's it's going to be a step back on defense because you're going to step back from an all time great unit. but they're going to be great again. Not much else to be said.
2: Yeah, they're the national champions. They've got the talent Uh, moving on. Speaking of moving on and a team that I just foreshadowed to, Trey, you've got Kentucky. I'm excited about the Wildcats this year. I am extremely excited about the Wildcats as well.
0: So excited. (laughs) That that train is already way far down the tracks for me. So. Marcus Stoops might be the best program builder in the SEC. He took Kentucky from putrid to respectable to now, I'll say knocking on the door of elite. And maybe that's because they're in the East and they don't have to run the weekend, week week out gauntlet of the West. But he has two 10-win seasons uh, in 2018 and 2021. That's half of Kentucky's all-time 10-win seasons and the only two since 1977. And he now owns the school record for uh, bowls gone to in a row, six years in a row with a a bowl game and four bowl wins in a row. So just amazing what he's done. He's made a basketball school care about football and invest in it, not just show up to the games, but provide and pony up the money for facilities, for um, coaching staff salaries. This is a wild thing that I read. Did you guys know that Kentucky's offensive, defensive, and recruiting coordinators will all make seven-figure salaries? Like, Wow. He has Congratulations. got to invest in the program. <laughs> Good job. So, it's paying off in spades. They're recruiting really well. They were 14th nationally in recruiting in 2022. They still got some hills to climb, right? Like, I'm not saying that they're neck and neck with Georgia yet, but you definitely can't schedule Kentucky for homecoming anymore. They – are a really strong power and they're sitting really pretty in a division that's just wide open outside of Georgia. So as a program, they're starting to believe that they can start to compete with Georgia and they're starting to build the talent to do that too. So this year for 2022 on offense, it's going to start with Will Levis. You know, you're set at quarterback when you lose your offensive coordinator and the whole coordinator search is centered around just continuity for your quarterback. So. Um, They bring in Rich Granello from the 49ers. He was a quarterback coach for San Francisco. And they really just want to keep doing what they're doing because it's working. So Levis burst onto the scene last year. He transfers in from Penn State, threw for over 2,800 yards and 24 touchdowns and added nine more on the ground. I think Penn State's kicking themselves for letting him go. And, you know, I feel comfortable saying he's the best quarterback in the East. And that's going to go a long way. And like I said, at the top of the show, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks in the East Division. Personally, I think Will Levis is at the top. So they'll have the better QB in all 12 of their games this year. And the NFL Draft guys seem to agree. I've even seen him mocked number one overall next year in April. Do I think he'll go number one overall? No, but I think he'll go in the first round. And I think you're going to see that on display this year. They did lose a lot around Will Levis from last year, especially at the receiver spot. So Wandel Robinson is making waves at New York Giants camp. He was the go-to guy last year and kind of a do-everything guy. But for the first time maybe ever, Kentucky is going to just be able to reload. They have, uh, between transfers and guys they've recruited, they've got seven former four-stars at wide receiver. And the guy that's probably going to lead the way was Virginia Tech's wide receiver one in 2021, Travion Robinson. He'll he'll probably be the go-to guy that Wandale Robinson was last year, but there is a ton of talent in that room. At running back, Chris Rodriguez finished second in the SEC in rushing last year. He's back to lead it, but he did get arrested in the offseason. We're not really sure what that's going to look like as far as suspension. Nothing's really been announced there yet, but there's plenty of depth there as well. Cavassier smoke. He has 1,300 career rushing yards, and they're so confident in their depth that he might be the fourth string this year. So tons of ground, uh, tons of talent on the ground for Kentucky, as it's kind of been their hallmark under Stoops. Um, The O-line is kind of a question mark. They did lose both of their starting tackles, and Luke Fortner was amazing at center. They only returned 34% of O-line starts. So... I'm really interested to see how they piece that together. They've recruited really well up front. They have five-star freshman, uh, Keontae Goodwin. I think he could be a day-one starter. You definitely turn on his high school tape. He looks the part. He's massive. Uh, massive human. Six seven, three hundred and forty 340 pounds, I believe, as an 18-year-old kid. So I'm really excited to see if that translates to the SEC and if he can hold down one of those tackle spots. Obviously, they're going to have to have someone step up if it's not him on offensive line because losing three starters is really tough. Um, Over on the defensive side, they do bring back a lot of talent. They were top 30 in both yards per game and points per game last year. The linebacker core is the headline. They run kind of a hybrid 3-4 scheme where they move a couple guys around the formations. They've got multiple NFL players coming back. They had three guys forego NFL drafts. Um, opportunities to come back and man that linebacker core: Jaquez Jones DeAndre Square and Jordan Wright I'm really excited to see them just continue to grow this year continue to maybe even push up those draft boards with another year of development J.J. Weaver's also back he at edge rusher he had six and a half sacks last year to lead the team they did lose uh, Joshua Pashal who was their best defensive lineman. Uh, He was taken in the second round, and they also lost their nose tackle, uh, 380-pound Marquand McCall. But they've got a ton of young, talented guys. If you remember back a couple classes ago, they had six four- and five-star guys on defensive line in 2020. Now they're ready for those guys to step up. So guys like Justin Rogers, who was kind of the headliner of that group, now that the older guys have kind of moved on to NFL opportunities, that 2020 class is really looking to step up and take over. The secondary was a weak spot last year and they took some losses from that group. So if you're looking for a cause for pause or a reason to tap the brakes on that hype train, it's probably the secondary. Uh, Yusuf Corker and uh, Quandre Mosley, both left to the NFL safety and a cornerback. Cedric Dort was the other starting corner and he, uh, Transferred to Wisconsin. They lost their starting nickel to injury in the spring. So there's a lot of questions, right? There's some returning production. They got in some transfers, but they really need to find a solid unit that they're comfortable with putting out there, especially, like we've said, with all these quarterbacks that are going to be spinning it all around the field in the SEC East. But, you know, when you put all that together, even though there are concerns in the secondary and maybe a little bit up front, Their over-under is set at seven and a half. And guys, that is an obvious hype train hammer the over for me. Like, just looking at their schedule, I can't figure out why that line is set so low. They've beaten this line three out of the last four years, and the exception to that is the COVID year, with literally the exact same schedule. So every year they play three cupcakes, Louisville, the SEC East, and Mississippi State, of course, rotate through one other team from the West. They have that exact same schedule this year. And so beating that three years in a row that they've had that schedule, I'm really comfortable picking them to go over seven and a half. Now, their true ceiling, you know, is going on a run, getting lucky maybe with Georgia tripping up a time or two and winning the East. I think that's a comfortable ceiling. And that that's everything going right. That's everything. No injuries for Kentucky and maybe a slew of injuries for Georgia. But they have the talent. They've recruited really, really well. They might even be the second most talented team on paper in the division. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Their danger zone. The danger it's definitely weeks five through seven. They go at Ole Miss. South Carolina at home, and Mississippi State at home, back-to-back-to-back. Ole Miss is a tough draw from the West. I don't think it's – it's obviously not the toughest draw they could possibly have, but Ole Miss going to Oxford week five will be tough. If they can get through that slate, though, those last two weeks of the season they host Georgia and Louisville back-to-back to end the season, absolutely electric in Lexington. And they'll be fine postponing basketball for just a little bit. (laughs)
2: That's right. Big big blue nation can 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 hold off. Drake will have to to wait a couple extra weeks to go uh wear his big blue jumper. I'm right there with you. I think it's a very talented roster. I think quietly the second talented roster, second most talented roster in the SEC East. And I know Tennessee is the trendy pick right now. They're getting a lot of hype because Hendon Hooker is finally the answer at quarterback. At least it seems like that. But I'm with you. Kentucky has been building this momentum for years. And, you know, it, it's, it's truly, I think, going to take a team like Georgia that is just inherently a cut above them to stop that train. So I'm right there with you. I've got him at 10-2 and two and second in the East.
0: Will Levis needs to cut back on the turnovers just a little bit. He did have 13 interceptions last year. But if he's on and he's not turning the ball over, good luck. You're not going to beat Kentucky with your B game. Yeah, well, I mean, you get another year in the system if you love Levis. You're going to, you know, keep
1: working on that. I'm sure the coaches have talked about, you know, how to fine-tune his game. So, you know, give him another year in the system. I think he's going to be just fine. I've got him attended to as well. Um, I'm just going to retweet everything you guys just said. It was pretty good breakdown there. I think they're going to be a real good team, going to be a real good squad, and a really tough out this year.
2: If there is one thing that can hold Will Levis and this Kentucky team back, it's the amount of mayonnaise that he puts in his coffee. Um yes, that's oh my gosh. Yeah, you haven't yeah, haven't that's seen that, head list. over to twitter.com and just put that in your search bar and uh is, don't is say weirder wonder.
1: than like Sam Howell never having had a steak or something like that. Uh,
2: yes. Yes. Will weirder putting than that right mayonnaise in your coffee is ugh, no, no no further comment um garrett you might not have a lot of comments on this next team missouri i i'm interested to see the the full depth of research because uh, as i was texting you guys before we hit the the record button i was doing some cross pollination research for south carolina and the things that i saw in missouri were things that they would rather not speak of so with that please dive in well uh, thanks for the intro uh yeah no,
1: so You got Coach Eli Drinkwitz. He's got Mizzou sort of treading water, you know, sort of being average in the SEC, right? They've been, you know, fine. They haven't been necessarily very good, but they beat who they're supposed to, right? I think I saw something where they have beaten all the teams that they're supposed to when they're favored, and then they've lost to just about everyone that they're not favored. So they're they're just kind of treading water right now. And like we've said a little bit, it's a really good SEC East, and that's probably not going to end up cutting it right they're going to have to continue to improve Um, they've certainly recruited well while he's been there there's some really good talent on campus I wouldn't say that he's quite on a hot seat yet but depending on how things go here this year uh, for coach Drinkwitz you know there could be a little bit of an issue with this tenure at uh, Columbia going forward Um, you know what exactly is the path forward to success for the Tigers well Let's talk about the offense first. The offense last year was just the definition of pedestrian. Um, They weren't particularly efficient. They weren't particularly explosive. They didn't really play themselves out of any games, but they didn't necessarily go out and be, you know, a world beater either. They finished 59th in scoring just under 30 points per game, middle of the pack, almost every single, you know, statistical category. They're finishing somewhere between 65 and, you know, 72. So, you know, just nothing really big to speak of as far as a glaring concern. There's also not really a lot of positives if you're coming back. Um, the quarterback position itself is a pretty big concern. So it was kind of time for Connor like to kind of move on, you know, never quite broke through to his full potential uh, with the Tigers. Uh, everything that I've been able to read, him and the coaching staff kind of had a mutual parting of ways there. Um, you know, there were some high moments, there were some low moments. Uh, But that leaves some pretty limited experience coming back. They got Brady Cook. He's probably going to be the guy. He was pretty good in reserve last year. He had 58 attempts, almost completed 80% of his passes for two touchdowns, no interceptions. So taking care of the ball, clearly he's not going to complete 80% of his passes. That would just shatter records. But, you know, if he can stay accurate, push the ball down the field a little bit more, try to get a little bit more explosive, it should help them improve if he just can't get it done. There's a couple of you know younger guys, a couple freshmen that might push him uh, and a transfer from Southern Miss. But, you know, it's just it's probably going to be him. And I think he's going to be just fine. The reason he's going to be just fine is he's got plenty of options to throw the ball to. Uh, they bring back talented senior Toski Dove. Um, they've got some younger guys like Dominic Lovett and uh, Mookie Cooper, but the big name in that room is Luther Burden III. Get used to it. You're going to hear that name and all those you know, little commercial break updates to check the score somewhere else. You're going to see plenty of, and Luther Burden caught a 60-yard touchdown again. Um, he's the top wide receiver from this previous class. He's one of my favorite players in college football this year, and he's an immediate threat to score from anywhere on the field. He will outrun you and catch a ball behind your safeties. He'll catch a ball in space and make something happen. He's one of the best, and, and you know, just look, get the ball in his hands, good things are going to happen. They did lose their running back starter from last year, uh, but Elijah Young is the guy coming back. He had a good bowl game. Um, And so he'll probably end up being the lead back with a couple transfers from Stanford and the D2 level to kind of help fill out that room. Uh, The offensive line, they return both of their tackles, and they're probably a couple of the better players in the conference. They got Javon Foster and Hyron White. Uh, And there is some experience inside, although the names will probably shuffle a little bit to get the right uh, look. Uh, Look for guys like Xavier Delgado, Connor Wood, Connor Tollison, and Luke Griffin to be the names that get tossed around. Uh, They're going to kind of rotate some of those guys between those excellent tackles uh, and try to figure out something to kind of keep the quarterback upright. Um, On defense, this is really where you want to turn your attention because, oh man, was this defense bad last year. Uh, They're turning to Blake Baker from Miami to right the ship. Um, Look, if Mizzou wants to win more games, they need to learn how to stop anything the opposing offenses want to do. They had the 113th scoring defense with 33.8 points per game, but the glaring issue is they could not stop teams from running against them. They were last in the conference, that includes Vanderbilt, last in the conference, and 124th overall with 227 yards given up on the ground. Even just marginal improvement for them probably means bigger things. We watched several games last year where you could look at that Missouri defense and you pretty much knew if this team wanted to run the football, they could. right? If you had a running back with a pulse, he was going to rack up 100 yards against the Missouri Tigers on the ground. So look, their run defense is just going to have to get better. They finished okay in pass defense, but I think a lot of that just had to do with the fact that nobody had to put the ball in the air. Just hand the ball off, score 30, 40 points, and call it a day um on the defensive line the ends are going to be the strength of the unit isaiah mcguire trajan jeffcoat they combined for nine and a half sacks last year the interior less experienced but you know maybe at this point you'd rather not have those guys back from the interior Uh, you got darius robinson he's a senior with six starts last year so not a lot of experience they got the oklahoma state transfer jaden jernigan he's probably going to factor in the mix Uh, senior aurelius george he's also going to see some time in the middle This is going to be, you know, a unit that needs to be a lot better at the point of attack. They need to not get bullied off the ball. They got to fit their run gaps. If they can't do that, it's just going to be another long year watching guys run the ball on you. Uh, Linebacker Tyron Hopper, he comes in from Florida and he's going to be a big piece for this squad. Uh, You plug that guy in and he's probably going to make you better in run defense almost overnight. Uh, They are returning Devin Nicholson, Chuck Hicks and Chad Bailey to try to fill the rest of that linebacker core. They're going to need one of those guys to step up uh, so they can start to rotate and play a little better. Uh, And and again, the linebackers are going to have to pick up some of the slack in the run game as well. Corners, a bit of a question mark, probably Ennis Rakestraw Jr., Chris Abrams Drain. Those are probably your guys, uh, but they did miss spring ball with injuries. So there's kind of some details to iron out. And Maybe there were some of the younger guys that flashed and showed some potential there as well. Um, The safeties are going to be probably the strength of this whole defense. They return Martres Manuel. He's probably going to be their star hybrid guy. So, sort of a nickel, but, you know, kind of plays more of a hybrid role. Uh, JC Carleys, he's coming back to be the primary free safety. You're also going to have to look out for a mix of guys. DJ Jackson, they got transferred Dryden Norwood. Uh, Clemson transferred Joseph Charleston. They're all going to factor into that rotation. They're going to kind of mix and match, see who fits best where. Um, and they're going to try to put together a good unit on that back end. Um, again, this was not a unit that got tested a lot last year, but they didn't necessarily perform poorly either. So it's kind of a wait and see what they've got. Um, the floor ceiling for them, their over-under is set at five and a half. I'm going under there. I think I have them at four and eight. There's just too many defensive question marks for this team. Um, when you have one of the worst run defenses ever, I, I, I just, I'm i going to DC more before I can tell you you're going to win five games um there's some very good teams again kind of like what we've been saying you're gonna have to keep up with some of these teams in the east now I just don't think that they're keeping up and because of that they're gonna lose ground and I think that this is just gonna make things harder um look at their best I think they can make a bowl game uh but also you could see them saying I beat Vanderbilt and that was my only conference win that could be their floor um so not necessarily a lot of bright times here that I'm projecting but um you know something could turn around for them we'll see if they can stop the run uh the danger zone for them early on weeks four through six they've got at auburn georgia at home and then at florida pretty tricky stretch but you know if they can figure something out they could jump up and grab auburn they could jump up and grab florida Uh, this is probably a spot where you'd like to see them steal some games so uh you know Again, I'm not necessarily predicting a lot of success this year for Missouri, uh, but there's certainly things that could go right for them.
2: Missouri gave up almost 3,000 yards on the ground last year. That was 300 more yards than they gave up through the air. So, yeah, clearly they have to find a quarterback this year, whether it's Brady Cook or Tyler Macon. Jack Abraham transferred in from Southern Miss. His fifth college in seven years And it doesn't look like he's won the job um, as of yet. So maybe in fall camp he does. But they need to find a quarterback. They need to find a defensive line.
0: Yeah, I love Eli Drinkowitz. Like, if you just want to talk about maybe one of the most awesome personalities in the SEC, he's been so funny to follow in his commentary on just the offseason drama this year. But, I mean... If you're looking for a bright spot, they have kind of stumbled their way to a bowl and knocked off a couple teams they weren't supposed to in his first two years at Mizzou. I think you got to You're right to circle Auburn and Florida in particular, Garrett. I think I really wish I, – I just keep looking through their schedule, and every game that I'm like, oh, like if you can knock them off, it could start a run. All of them are on the road. Yeah. Auburn, Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee – all of those games are on the road. So that just makes me way less likely to pick the Tigers. When they've knocked yep. off teams, it's usually been at home under Eli Drinkwitz. They've really struggled on the road. But yeah, I, I, maybe they can make a bowl. Maybe they can keep that streak going of just kind of finding a way, you know, beat your cupcakes, um, play tight. They have a tough game at Kansas State in an old Big 12 matchup early yep. in the year. We're really high on the Wildcats, so not necessarily picking them to win that one. It's just so many, like the schedule is just really not setting up well for them.
1: Well, and let me glass half full for a second here. Okay. I actually truly believe that Luther Burden is worth one or two wins. I I do believe that. I think that by himself, he can just win you games, right? And if you're thinking about on the road, What are you going to want to do if you're an opposing team coming in on the road, right? You're going to want to take the crowd out of it. Nothing deflates crowds more than a big play, a big touchdown, a missed assignment, where you just have to stand there and watch the other team run down the field, right? That's the kind of thing Luther Burden can do for you. So, I I mean, I think they probably sneak up and grab Auburn, you know? I actually do project them to, you know, win that game. I think that they can do that. Yeah, it's a road game. Yeah, it's tough, but... You know, you've got some players on your team if you're, you know, Missouri that you're looking at and saying this guy can actually go out there and change the game right now, right? This is a guy that can change the game right now. You know, it's much better than if they didn't have him clearly because if they don't have a guy like Luther Burden on the squad, I mean, I'd probably pick him for two or three wins. I don't think that they're particularly good outside of him on offense, but with a guy like that, we've seen how one guy can get introduced and change the entire offense. I think Luther Burden is that special.
2: We'll have to wait and see what Missouri can do. I'm I'm intrigued. A lot of talent. Can they put the pieces together? Um, is is the big question. And, and you know, a, a team that I feel like had a lot of similar circumstances to when Drinkwitz took over at Missouri it was Shane Beamer at South Carolina. That's our next team. Beamer's got the swag factor going on right now in Columbia. He is winning the social media game. He's winning hearts and minds. Uh, they vastly overachieved last season. They didn't even have a quarterback last year and they found a way to go 7 and 6 and beat UNC with a wide receiver starting at quarterback in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Um they're recruiting like a top 25 program. The the 2023 class is off to an amazing start right now. They're poaching kids from all up and down the East Coast. And now they've got a quarterback uh this season in Spencer Rattler. So, you know, before Beamer arrived, they had lost 17 of their previous 23. They'd missed consecutive bowl games for the first time since 2002-2003 like This South Carolina program was stuck in the mud. They lost six in a row to Clemson, which now it's seven. They did get blasted last year. But overall, things are looking up for for the Gamecocks. They look to build on wins over Florida and Auburn for last season. They're going to look to avenge big losses by wide margins to Missouri, I'm sorry, Tennessee, and Georgia. So you know, overall, I think it's a very stable platform for South Carolina to build upon. Spencer Rattler has arrived from Oklahoma. He transferred from Boomer Sooner Country. Despite his inconsistency last season, he's a playmaker at heart. He was one of the most highly talented quarterbacks. I think he was the top dual threat quarterback coming out of Arizona when he committed to Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. We've seen him make magic happen. It just it seemed like once the snowball kind of got pushed over the hill and he he started to struggle and started to to throw interceptions and the crowd turned against him. He just couldn't. Couldn't stop it, right? It culminates in him getting replaced in the, in the Texas comeback, and Caleb Williams started his legacy. Um, that being said, anything is better than what happened last year. I mentioned South Carolina used four different quarterbacks in 2021, including Zeb Nolan, who they had to bring out of retirement. He was a graduate assistant after Luke Doty got hurt last season. So uh, they are already starting way farther down the road than they were last year. Uh, Certainly a trend in these preview picks is the emphasis on the offensive line. To win big boy football, especially in the SEC, you need to dominate in the trenches, and that is something that South Carolina did not do last year, and I don't think they're going to do it this year at all. Uh, Rattler might be running for his life just a little bit, to, to be quite frank. So when you look at the two deep, the Gamecocks return the entire two deep across the offensive line. They did not lose a single scholarship member of the big boys. But the downside to that is last year they were so bad. I don't know if it's a positive yet. I certainly have my doubts. So for example, South Carolina was so bad at running the ball last year and pass protection in 2021 that they finished a, a hundredth, I'm sorry, in the country when it came to sacks given up and only ran for a total of 57 yards against Missouri. We just got talk got done talking about Missouri, giving up 3000 yards. Over the course of their season, so that included this this Missouri defense. They gave it 458 to Tennessee on the ground, 340 to Kentucky, and 283 to Texas A and M. South Carolina rushed for 57 yards with a back who got drafted to the NFL. So the Yo, we, line, we already
0: we already hit on Missouri. Why are we still shooting straight? I as
2: have as to. Fun? I told you. I have to. I have to prove my point. Like it, it's not. Look, Missouri's catching a stray. It's not intended to put them down, but. That's truly how unproductive the South Carolina offensive line was. They deserve so it. So point being, South Carolina has got to get a better push off the offensive line, off the line of scrimmage. Speaking of running back, uh, they lost Kevin Harris to the draft, but they bring in transfer Christian Beale Smith from Wake Forest. He was the leading scorer for that team last year that set program records for rushing. Uh, they've also got highly touted returners Marshawn Lloyd and Juju McDowell who are going to fight for carries more four- and five-star guys in the backfield. So again, the talent in the SEC is just ridiculous. Now it's all about development. It's all about plugging holes with those kids and making sure that they're ready to step up. Um, I, I put if they can't run the ball this year, it's not going to be the running back's fault. It will squarely be in the laps of the offensive line. Uh, at wide receiver, Josh Van decided he was coming back for one more ride, much to the joy of South Carolina fans who – Really are looking for Spencer Rattler to, to kind of show out with some talented pass catchers. Add in transfers uh, in tight end Austin Stogner, who came over from Oklahoma, Corey Rucker and Juice Wells. Gamecocks have a formidable set of pass catchers this season. Rucker was all earned all-freshman honors at Arkansas State last year, who I think went 1-11. They were just abhorrent under Butch Jones, but Corey Rucker had a great year. And then uh, Juice Wells holds numerous receiving records at James Madison. So he's transferring over to the SEC. South Carolina could be dangerous on offense. A- again, it's all going to come down to does Spencer Rattler have time to move around in the pocket to process and then distribute the football. Defensively, uh, defensive coordinator Clayton White uh, was in his first year last year, and he just straight up outdid himself. He Raised the level of expectations across the board, earned himself a raise in year two, and has plenty of talent to work with this season. Up front, two names to know are Zach Pickens, spelled with two C's, and Jordan Birch. Uh, Pickens is South Carolina's version of Jordan Davis from Georgia a season ago, just a people eater in the middle of that defense that isn't going to put up stats. He's not going to really collect tackles. He's not going to get into the backfield. He is truly there to be a brick wall, an immovable object that sits over the center and one of the guards. Uh, as far as Jordan Birch, former five-star edge rusher who just hasn't lived up to the expectations quite yet, he was compared to Jadavion Clowney when he came in and clearly has, has not reached that threshold. So this is a big season for Birch. Uh, pass rush is massive for South Carolina and taking the next step. They finished just 12th in the conference in sacks last season. So again, as you want to climb that, that ladder, you have to get to the passer, especially in the SEC. Look at the secondary. You got Cam Smith. He returns the lead a unit that finished six in the conference last year in pass defense. Nearly everyone is back from the starting unit a season ago, and they add in Devani Reed from Central Michigan. Reed was a second-team All-Mac performer last year with the Chips. And strangely enough, I didn't know this before diving in, South Carolina actually led the SEC in turnovers, not just the East, but the entire conference, including a pick-six that quite literally won them a game against East Carolina pick uh, I think it was like literally might have been the last two minutes against the Pirates so uh, defense the strength of the unit some some high expectations on offense I I really do think South Carolina takes another step this year the current over under for them set by bet online again not a sponsor could be uh, is six and a half now officially if I was laying my paycheck on South Carolina Um, first of all, I'd need you guys to check in on me. Secondly, I'd have to take the under just because I think more than likely this team finishes at six and six. Again, it's a brutal schedule for the Gamecocks and we'll dive into that in just a second. But I'd like to think there's a way that they find seven wins on this schedule and it's not going to be easy, but the juice that this program has, the, the, the way that Shane Beamer is changing the culture and getting this, this program to believe they can win again has me believing that they can find a way to get to seven wins. Uh, it's going to be tough, but I, I, I think they can. I think that ceiling is seven wins. I don't really see anything more than that. The floor is probably four to five wins, a disappointing step back with losses to Missouri and Florida. Uh, if you hit the danger zone track for me. The I think the, the area to focus on for South Carolina, especially as they're competing for bowl eligibility, is the way they finish the season. So weeks 11 through 13 are my targeted danger zone. That's at Florida versus Tennessee at Clemson. Now we've talked about Clemson and, and who knows what that offense is going to be like, but I, I think just based on the virtue of how talented Clemson's defense is, I think Clemson wins that series finale or the season finale and it's 0 and 8 in the last eight years for the Gamecocks. So they've got to make noise against Florida and Tennessee. And I do think they probably find a way if they're rolling to go beat Florida in the swamp that Tennessee game is really interesting to me because hypothetically it's at home for the Gamecocks hypothetically they could play spoiler on Tennessee's season if if the volunteers are going into to Columbia with one loss and sandstorm starts plan I tell you what that could be an upset special late in the year for Shane Beamer and the boys so Very, very curious to see how South Carolina finishes. I think that will ultimately determine if they get to a bowl game or not.
0: Yeah, I just going back through their schedule last year, I have no idea how they got to a bowl game last year, but (laughs) they did. And you're telling me they're going to be consistent at quarterback as long as Spencer Rattler can stay healthy and in the lineup. I find myself rising on the Gamecocks. I'm not going to go as far as to say I'm on a hype train or anything like that, but you know, when we talked about them on our spoiler episode back earlier in the summer, I was really struggling to find four or five wins for the Gamecocks. I don't know. I, I can definitely see them getting back to a bowl game. It's a brutal start to the schedule as well. Um, you know they open with Georgia State, but then at Arkansas and hosting Georgia back to back is tough. I I, I yep. really like Arkansas this year. Georgia obviously is the big boogie man in the East, so I don't know. After that, it does kind of you know clear out until Kentucky and A M in the middle, but yeah, I I can see Spencer Rattler leading them to bowl eligibility and being a consistent force that's going to pair with a defense that was pretty solid last year.
1: Yeah. I'm not really concerned about the defense that much. I'm man. I'm just not ready to go there for South Carolina yet. I'm really just not ready to get on the South Carolina is going to be better, you know, cause uh, they'll get better quarterback play. That's for sure. The offensive line's a serious issue. You know what I mean? I like that offensive line. It, it just gives me a lot of problems. And for me, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, there's a reason Spencer Rattler lost his starting job in the first place at Oklahoma. And it's because he didn't deal with the pressure very well. It seems like if you could get in his face and if you could heat him up a little bit, you know, he, he was starting to kind of air and make some mistakes. That's going to be the case. And, you know, kind of like what Mitch was saying, he might be running for his life. And so, you know, they're going to have some playmakers. Obviously he'll be better than what they had last year. Uh, I'm just really not ready to go there and say that, yeah, this is going to be a vastly you know better team and, Massive step in the right direction. I've seen a lot of people online calling that they're going to be the second best team and uh, SEC East, and they're going to push Georgia. And I, I'm just—I'm not there. I don't know if I'm on another planet from these people, but I, I just don't see how a team that you know scraped together bowl eligibility is all of a sudden going to be a really solid force because a couple guys transfer in.
2: If if you see that kind of commentary online about the Gamecocks finishing second in the SEC East, please. Uh... DM that to at three tech pod on Twitter. I, I would love to see that <laughs> we'll and, and maybe perhaps share with message board genius. Um, Cause that does sound like a hot overreaction, but you know, we'll see. I, I'm bullish. I like the, the man at the helm. And I think uh, having a, a strong coach, a coach that can truly fend for himself, right. And own his right. space in the sec is not something to be taken lightly. Trey, you were talking about the the coaching carousel at Florida. Guys just kind of flunking out of class, right? Not being able to tread water with some of these legends of the game. I'm not saying that Beamer is anything close to becoming a legend in this sport, but the moxie that he brings, the confidence that he, he gives to his his team you know and, and personally now not the reason I'm I'm high on the on the South Carolina program but I do know people in the program that have said it's just different here right now and and they really do appreciate that so excited to see what the gamecocks do in 2022 Trey you've got Tennessee which feels like a very natural kind of next step right we were talking about maybe a team that is is on the rise it feels like this is where Tennessee was a season ago now it might be time for them to establish themselves as, as the Vol Nation being back. Uh,
0: that's insulting to South Carolina because Tennessee was a dumpster fire this time last year. Uh, but look, enter Josh Heupel. Fan base on Rocky Top is starting to really hold their heads high for the first time in a while because his year one went way better than most expected. He navigated them out of that dysfunction, the Jeremy Pruitt era was just bad from the beginning. Um, a lot of bag remember- holders, a lot of bag holders. Yes. Well, and even if you remember back to the circumstances under which he was hired, it, it was not yeah. who the administration wanted. They caved to the fan base who was just going nuts over the possibility of hiring Greg Schiano. So it was a dumpster fire. Absolute, just terrible situation that Josh Heupel inherits and he gets them to a bowl game in year one and he gets them there on the back of an offense that was legit it was setting school records for points scored and touchdowns and just absolutely inspiring to the fan base that started to buy in there's been more recruiting success and now they're starting to believe in knoxville that they can return to the glory days and you know the the joke word is the tenazons is that happening right now before our eyes Or is it still a year away? I'm going to lean more towards it being a year away and I'll tell you why here in just a second because it's not because of the offense. So, Like I mentioned, that excitement is back in Knoxville. They had 475 yards per game, almost 40 points per game. They had tempo. They had competent quarterback play. It was a really exciting year one on the offensive side of the ball for the volunteers and it was mostly because of Hendon Hooker. He was just a godsend coming over from Virginia tech. He didn't start the year as the starter. He was splitting time with Joe Milton, but as soon as he took over that offense, just didn't look back. I think if they had a better defense last year, he would have been getting some Heisman buds because he had almost 3000 yards passing 31 touchdowns to so just three interceptions. And he also had 616 yards and five touchdowns on the ground. Those are amazing numbers. They might be tweaking his mechanics a little bit this offseason, but they're just not searching for an answer at quarterback. They have that. That's huge. Your team is going to be way better if you have that solution at quarterback. Um, Cedric Tillman kind of emerging last year out of nowhere was another big part of that offense. He had just eight catches from 2018 to 2020. Last year, he goes off for 64 for 1,081 and 12 touchdowns. He's coming back to lead the receiving corps. They did lose their number two guy in Vellis Jones Jr., who was a pretty high draft pick by the Chicago Bears. But they've got a lot of guys to possibly take over that mix. Brew McCoy, um, I just remember that he was on the roster going through this preview. He's on like his 10th school, but he's a former five-star that's going to be in the mix. We got another Squirrel Garrett. Um, it's spelled right this time, so we won't put you on the spot. But um, Squirrel. Squirrel White. Uh, all 160 pounds of him. he's could be a slot guy. They're definitely going to use him in the kick return game as a weapon. Tons of speed and just playmaking ability there. Running back depth is probably the biggest concern on this offense. So they do bring back Jabari Small, who was the leading guy. Their number two guy transferred out to be the lead back at Louisville. But uh, Small was kind of hurt a lot last year. They're hoping that he can through the offseason, just develop more durability, develop more ability to stay on the field. Because behind him, there's a few guys that have split time, especially when Small was absent, but just not a lot of proven talent on that uh, running back core behind Jabari Small. So somebody's got to step up there, especially if Jabari Small can't stay on the field. The O-line looks like it could be, other than Hinden Hooker, the strength of the offense. They did lose Cade Mays, who was a six-round pick, but there's a ton of consistency up front because he's the only guy that left. They're returning something like 90% of their offensive line starts from last year, so they're sitting pretty. They've got a lot of talented guys there, and they performed really well last year as well. Um, for a first-year head coach, especially an offensive-minded one, offense is usually going to be the quick fix, right? Defense is usually harder to transition to, harder to improve, especially in year one. That was 100% true for Tennessee last year. They were 90th best in the FBS in scoring, 99th best in total defense. They lost shootouts to Pitt, Ole Miss, and Purdue because of it. And, you know, they were literally – when I'm when I'm going through these previews, I'm literally just searching to find who's going to be the people because – Off of that defense that really struggled last year, they probably lost, I think, six or seven starters from that defense that wasn't very good last year. And when you read through these previews, it's literally a couple paragraphs just listing names of these guys need to step up. So I don't know. Is there going to be a big improvement from year one to year two on defense? You're hoping so if you're a Vols fan, but there's just not a lot of signs pointing to that. If you're looking for a big positive from last year, they were seventh in tackles for loss in the whole country. Really good on negative plays, but the problem was they were just giving up huge plays after that. They would start a team behind the line of scrimmage and then give up a third and 10, a third and 15 time and time again. Um, They lost from last year their best defensive back, their best cornerback, arguably their three best defensive linemen. Where they are returning a lot of talent is at linebacker. They bring back Jeremy Banks. He looks like he's going to be the leader of the defense. Byron Young and Tyler Barron are also looking promising. Uh, Young kind of plays a hybrid edge linebacker role. Banks and Young both had 11 and a half tackles for loss last year, so they're certainly capable of making plays behind the line of scrimmage. But other than that, it's just a list of guys that need to step up. They've recruited well. They have some talent on the team, but not a lot of proven in-game ability. I don't know. I'm just searching for positives on the defensive side of the ball in Knoxville. And I think that might hold them back this year, especially if they can't improve on third down. Last year, they were 101st in FBS, allowing opponents to convert 42.13% of third down. So something's got to give, right? Something's got to improve if you're going to tell me that Tennessee is going to take this next step from being a fun, exciting offensive team that makes a bowl to an actual contender for the top part of the SEC East. So especially when you factor in all the good quarterbacks, like we talked about, there's a lot of offensive offenses that can exploit a weak defense. So when you look at their floor ceiling, the over-under of 7.5, I don't know. I can see a really streaky season. Their schedule really sets up that way to go on a win streak and maybe a losing streak followed by a win streak, winning streak to end. If they're going to beat that over-under of 7.5, they have to beat 2 out of 3 of Pitt, Florida, and LSU. Florida's at home, but Pitt and LSU are both on the road. So, I don't know. It, it's just hard to find confidence that they're going to do that with a defense. So looking at fielding, I'm going to say... They just missed that 7.5 over-under and go 7-5 and again. I don't think that's cause for panic in Knoxville, but I just need to see more talent step up on defense before I fully buy in. Their offense is going to carry them to a bolt. Hindenhooker is electric. He is a godsend for that offense, like I said. But if the defense can show some competency and maybe just step up and maybe they find guys to plug all those holes from last year, The only no way they're winning those games, games on their schedule are Bama and Georgia, right? Like in a vacuum, those two games are the only ones that you say they have zero chance realistically of winning. Outside of that, it's just a lot of offenses that are going to give their defense trouble. And here's why I'm really low on Tennessee. It's this stretch right here, their danger zone. (laughs) I'm going to list off a lot of games right here, but it's legitimately maybe the longest danger zone I've ever seen. Starting in week four, Florida at home, week six, at LSU after a bye, they come back home to face Bama. They do get a break in the middle of this with hosting Tennessee Martin in an FCS matchup. But then week nine is Kentucky at home, and week 10 is at Georgia. That's all in a stretch that's only broken up by a bye and an FCS game. I just That's tough. That's going to take a toll on them, especially when you look at the offenses that they're going to face. Alabama, Kentucky, and Georgia—three out of four games alone, those teams might throw for four hundred or five hundred yards each.
2: Well, and getting those teams later in the season, where again injuries can you know rear their ugly head. You just spent the last couple of minutes talking about the the lack of of surety on defense if you start to to lose guys from that depth chart oh my goodness that could be that could be a brutal stretch um yeah I I think you're right on I've I've got them finding a way to beat a couple of more of those teams so I think I've got them at nine and three but that's exclusively off the offense that is a hey we're gonna score more than you and we don't really care if we give up 35 40 points a game um but I I believe in Hendon Hooker yeah, I've got him at seven and five, like Trey.
1: Um, I, I maybe don't believe in Hendon Hooker. to Not not that I don't <laughs> She's think fair. he's good. It's not that I don't think he's a good quarterback. Number one, was he a flash in the pan? We'll see. Probably not. He's probably going to come back and be good again. But, you know, give all these teams a full offseason to study about what he does. Can he respond to that, right? That's what happens every year. There's always seems to be a few quarterbacks that disappear. Hendon uh, Hooker is on my list for guys to look at for that. But, um yeah, they've just they've got to beat too many good teams in too short of a time. Kind of like what Cherry is saying, they just got so many good teams broken up by not enough not good teams. They're not going to have a chance to build momentum. You know, it, maybe we're totally wrong. They're going to go out there and stomp all over Florida, beat up LSU, and go into Bama feeling like world beaters.
0: I don't know. I don't see it. I really just don't see it for this team. I do think that game at LSU. I I can see them making a statement in that game. Especially for an LSU team that I'm not as high on. But yeah, other than that, in that stretch, you know, Florida's going to be a tough game. It's a rivalry game that Florida really cares about. And the rest of those teams are legitimately top 15 teams in my book, except for UT Martin. Shout out Skyhawks. But yeah it's just such a brutal stretch in the middle of the schedule but after that it does really clear up with Missouri South Carolina and Vanderbilt to end the year so if you're looking for a positive bright spot they're gonna have some momentum just like they did one of those uh one of those Jeremy Pruitt years everyone was freaking out because they won like six games in a row to end the year and it was like Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Missouri, an FCS school. And a the Eastern SEC East school. is what you mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, like, it's like, yeah, they went on a massive win streak to end the year, and they'll probably go on at least a three-game win streak to end the year this year. But who are they beating? And even last year, I know we're all excited and on the hype train about Tennessee. Who did they beat last year other than Kentucky that was – a team that you would circle as, you know, wow, that's a that's a statement win. Uh, they did win at Kentucky. They won a shootout, and that was a great win for them. But other than that, it's a whole lot of nothing.
2: Yeah, listen, don't 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 dwell on the past. We're we're forward focused, <laughs> twenty twenty two vision right now. Um, now, I a lot of questions, a lot of questions. But I tell you what, at least to have some hope in Knoxville again, uh, I I think is a positive because. My goodness, when when the Tennessee fan base is is not happy, they make everybody else not happy. <laughs> so to to you know not have the Vol Navy burning in the channel, uh, I think is is a positive at least to start the season. Uh, from one Tennessee program to another, and Garrett, we've actually saved the best for last. If you listen to, to Clark Lee, because and I quote, as we all know, Vanderbilt can be the best program in the country. No,
1: and I think he's right. No, Vanderbilt's going to return to prominence. They're going to make the postseason this year. Uh, You know, one through nine, their hitters are going to be a lot better. The pitching staff. Wait, was he talking about football? I I believe so. I'm so sorry. No, this football team is bad. This football team is very (laughs) bad. Um, Look, Clark Lee has a long way to go to get Vanderbilt to where he thinks they're going to be. Look, he took over the rebuild knowing that Vanderbilt is what it is and still lost to East Tennessee State in that opener. They And they didn't lose that game. They got stomped. They scored like three points in that game. That was not fantastic. Um, look, you're hoping for improvement in year two if you're a Vanderbilt fan. Um, you know, but look, there's going to be a long way to go and a long hill ahead of you. And you are quickly falling behind in this SEC East Arms race right now. So um, talking about the offense, this offense was bad. Uh, they scored 15.8 points per game. That ranked 128th nationally. There were 130 total teams that made that ranking. Um, that's obviously last text. in the conference. <laughs> yes, there we go. Um, they, they were last in the conference. They didn't run the ball well, but on the other hand, they didn't pass the ball well, so they need to you know, fix some problems quick. Uh, quarterback's a mystery until probably week one. They haven't made any definitive decisions, uh, and we're going to wait to see who ends up trotting out there on their first drive. Most likely the battle's coming down to Ken Seals versus Max Wright. Look, last year, neither guy completed 60% of their passes. Neither guy scored more than 10 touchdowns. Both guys threw more than six interceptions. One of those two is just going to have to play better if Vanderbilt wants to avoid being the doormat again. Um, the offensive line maybe one of the worst in football last year. Every statistical metric you throw out there, they were bad. Uh, their sole bright spot, though, Tyler Steen, he transferred to Bama. So that almost feels like if you saw a rich guy walking down the sidewalk and then he took the one good thing that a homeless guy had from him, that's almost what this feels like where they had one bright spot on that offensive line, nothing else really going around. There's no way to sugarcoat this. The group's going to be a liability. Um, and none of the guys that are going to line up this year have proven anything at the collegiate level. They're just going to have to be much better to give this team a chance. Uh, Running back Ramon Davis comes back from injury. He was promising before he got hurt. So, you know, there could be some options there coming out the backfield. He could be maybe a spark uh, for this offense. They're also bringing back some playmaking at wide receiver Will Shepard. He had 43 catches, 577 yards, four touchdowns. He's an option, right? He's, He's a good option at wide receiver. Outside of that, the playmaking here just doesn't look good. Not a lot of difference makers on this side of the ball, not a lot of athletes, and I just kind of, I don't doubt that there's guys that can get it done, but so far, nobody's jumping off the page that tells me this is going to be the guy who's going to actually make a difference for this offense. Um, They might have starters, but to me, that's not going to make a difference for them. Um, Look, defense, the bright side for them is I guess they weren't Mizzou. Uh, They finished 13th in the conference in rushing defense and in passing yards given up um they finished 119th in the nation in scoring defense kind of the same song second verse for this defense not a lot of big time playmakers a lot of guys who need to step up in a big way uh they do lose their defensive coordinator jesse minter he left to go coach the wolverines uh new defensive coordinator is gonna be nick howell he was at virginia previous to this uh so you know maybe turning it over is a good thing and the new guy is gonna bring something else to that room uh, a couple notable guys on this side of the ball, linebacker Anthony Orgy, uh, D lineman, Davion Davis, Nate Clifton. Uh, you got corners, Jalen Mahoney and Elijah McAllister. Uh, not to say that everyone here is a star player, but these are the guys that have shown flashes and they've shown the ability to be an every down SEC defender. Um, outside of that, look, there's a huge gap in that defense in terms of personnel, but um, you're looking up and down this thing and you just have a lot of guys that are going to need to come in and play a lot better for them. Um, There are some freshmen that are going to be able to step up and probably take some jobs. Um, Their DC, he's going to have some work cut out for him because he's going to have to start plugging guys in and finding who's going to be able to fill gaps and not just be an absolute liability. Uh, They do bring in some freshmen. They're excited about edge rusher, Darren Agu, defensive tackle, Bradley Mann, linebacker, Daniel Martin, among a few others. So, they should have some guys that come in that they're excited about. But, I mean, once again, this is, you know, you're talking about Vanderbilt football. Things are not looking up for the Commodores. The days of James Franklin being good are far behind them in the rearview mirror. Um, floor ceiling for this team, they have an over under at two and a half. I feel extremely comfortable with going under here. Uh, I personally have them at two and 10. The three out-of-conference wins, I think, is their ceiling. I don't see how they win a conference game this year. There is a real case to be made that this team goes winless, uh, including some really, really, really low out-of-conference games. I still think you could make an argument for why they lose those games. The danger zone for Vanderbilt... Uh, Vanderbilt's danger zone is anywhere on the football field Uh, (laughs) but if I have to be specific and talk about which games I think are going to be tough uh, week five they travel to Bama they play Ole Miss at home then they go to Athens to play Georgia if you value your time please don't watch these games
2: (laughs) listen it's not going to be pretty for them (laughs) I don't think there's really much else to say. It's you know, it's a program that certainly has sunk to, you know, all kinds of lows since James Franklin left. I do want to say shout out Ken Seals, former uh, Weatherford Kangaroo. Um, got to call one of his playoff games. So, you know, certainly rooting for him. I do think it's going to be uh, Mike Wright that wins that quarterback battle. He he was the the guy that came to SEC Media Days with them. So, it seems like they're leaning that way, but yeah, you know, look, they they're just it's a tough place to win, no no doubt about it.
0: But it is a great American city. It and is. So if you're looking for a positive Vanderbilt fans, you're in Nashville.
2: You're in Nashville. And That's we'll cool. be
1: whistling with you in baseball season, I guess. But there's just there's <laughs> not a lot to talk about on the football team. And maybe basketball will be a little bit better. Had not look too much into them. But, yeah. yeah, don't worry, guys. Opening day is only
2: know, 100 days away. Well, that's the SEC East preview. Trey, if you want to quickly run us down kind of our consensus predictions for this side, uh, and then we'll get out of here.
0: Yeah, so we actually all three agreed on the top three in order. We have Georgia running it back, Kentucky finishing second, and Tennessee coming in third. Behind that, there's a little bit of a difference, but we came to a consensus of Florida in fourth, South Carolina in fifth, Missouri in sixth, and Vanderbilt coming in seventh.
2: I like I said off the top. I think this is going to be a lot of fun to watch the SEC East. It just feels not more wide open, but kind of like F one, where you watch the mid uh, the the mid pack battles, and there's a lot of entertainment there. Truly finishing second in the SEC East this year is is worthy of celebration. Whether it's Kentucky, whether it's uh, Tennessee, you know, Florida. I've seen Florida get get some high projections. I've seen South Carolina get some high projections. So. Anyway, a a lot of fun to to watch there. And guys, like I said off the top as well, less than three weeks away from college football season starting. We are nearly back, and I'm so pumped. Um, We'll have uh, the SEC West coming up later this week. And then, like I said, Group of Five Independence on down the road as well. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening to our SEC East preview. Until next time, so long, everybody.